0: We're in this series uh, we're calling Enchanted, Enchanting Encounters, where we're looking at some Bible examples of where people had an encounter with God that changed them. That's what enchant means. It kind of grabs a hold of you, you can't shake it off. And uh, today we're going to look at a story, the story of the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> whose name at this time was Saul. So don't let that confuse you. His name was Saul, but when he converted to Christianity, he changed his name to Paul. That's very common down through church history. When believers uh, would convert to the faith, they would change their name and they would pick up some kind of a Christian name. Uh, that, that followed right down to the early days of our country. When Puritans would come to America, uh, they would establish themselves as believers by picking up some uh, some Christian name like Goodman or Deliverance, Mercy, uh, Love, Hope, Charity, those kind of biblical concepts, they would pick up that name. So we're, that's, that's where this, this story originates. It's Paul's conversion story. So, <coughs> excuse me, I want us to read through it together. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> Meanwhile, remember that word. I'm going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women... He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Who are you, Lord?' Saul asked. "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting,' he replied." Now get up and go, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for uh, for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on hands on him to restore his sight this is an amazing story god touched Saul who was a leader he was able to get things done he was a mover and a shaker and god wanted somebody like that in the kingdom So He had to turn him inside out Flip him over Change everything in his thought patterns All his belief system had to be changed Now you notice this whole story Started out with the word meanwhile I love that concept Right in the middle of this God does that Right in the middle of working in this situation He's working in that situation At the same time And this is what we're seeing Meanwhile there's two words, Greek words, translated time in the New Testament. <clears throat> the, f- the first Greek word is the word chronos. You recognize it because we get our word chronological from it. You know, chrono- chronology means in sequence, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, in a sequence. And uh, the other Greek word is kairos, which... which Isn't like chronos. Four o'clock on today is pretty much the same as four o'clock tomorrow and four o'clock the next day. There's always a four o'clock. It's chronological. It has to do with the sequence of time. Chronos, or excuse me, kairos is the word that has to do with an an event. Not something that's routine. An out-of-the-ordinary event. Kairos. Remember that. Because we call an encounter with God a kairos moment. It's when God steps into our routine and messes it up. He plants something in there. He teaches us something. He does something we did not count on. Out of the ordinary. Totally unplanned for. That's a kairos moment. Paul had a kairos moment that changed his life. And I got a pretty good idea that there are a lot of other people in this room who have had a Kairos moment that changed your life. It might have been in a church service like this. It might have been at at a, a revival rally someplace. It might have been in a Sunday school classroom. It might have been at grandma's dinner table. You had a Kairos moment that woke you up and changed your life. For Paul, this happened when he was on the road to Damascus. You see, he chose that path. He chose that road. He knew where he wanted to go. This was his choice. He was on the road to Damascus. He knew where that road led, and he was heading for it. And God wasn't against that. He was against what he was going to do when he got there to Damascus. So I want to share five things we learned, principles we, we can draw out of this story for ourselves. Here's number one. When we meet God, everything brightens. It's like God is light. First words out of God's mouth recorded in the Bible were, Let there be light. And out of the darkness, a light shined. God is light. So if God's Son is going to come to this earth, is it a surprise to us that He would bring light? So he visits the Apostle Paul, and Paul, he's, he's like us when we've been in a dark room for a long time, and all of a sudden somebody flips the light on. It was like bright. It was too bright. It was so bright it blinded him. It was such a contrast to him. But he stayed blinded for three days. Takes us a couple minutes to get our, our vision back. But he was blind for three days. God was showing him something, but he had to wait three days for it. Isn't that something? God just like hangs us on there. Why why don't you just show me God? Because God knows I have to be converted on the inside before he can teach me what he wants to say. So Paul has got to sit there blind Not knowing what his future is, not knowing what really happened, he's got to go through all this turmoil on the inside before God can finally say, this is what I want of you. He's got to sit and stew for three days. Some of us have been sitting and stewing for a long time It's because God's waiting for us to make the change internally on the inside. So when you have an encounter with God, he brightens everything. He brightens your career. He brightens your finances. He brightens your relationships. He brightens your sexuality. He brightens everything about us. It's not dark anymore. There's illumination. The brightness just comes out when we have an encounter with Him. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. Once again, Jesus spoke to the people. This time He said... I am the light for the world. Follow me, and you won't be walking in the dark. You will have light that gives life, and all we have to do is follow him. This is what Jesus tells us. This is the illumination process for us. If we will follow Jesus, there's a light wherever we go, but we have to follow him. Somebody say amen. So when we meet God, everything brightens. Here's the second thing, and we're going to spend most of our time on this second point. When we meet God, religious bigotry dissolves. He was on his way to Damascus. He had a strategy. He had papers in his hand. These papers were authority to go up to Damascus, and if he could find any believer, any one of the way, is what they called believers back then, any one of the way, he's going to arrest them, and he's going to bring them back, arrested, going to pay a price. He's going to silence the heretics up there in Damascus. Now, catch this. It says he was breathing out threatenings. King James says slaughter, breathing it out. And I'm aware that the Greek word translated spirit is the Greek word pneuma, so I went to look that up because I wanted to know, is this connected with the, with the breath of God? And it's not. It's a totally different word. But when I was researching this, I found it's, it is the very same word that's used where it says, Jesus, in John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. That is the same word. So Jesus breathed something out, and it was good. Paul breathed something out, and it was bad. It was the spirit within him. You can only exhale what you've inhaled. You can only put out what you've received. And if you receive bitterness and hatred and you fill your mind with that stuff, nothing can come out of your mouth but bitterness and hatred. If you fill your mind, however, with the grace of God, the mercy of God, nothing can come out of you but the grace and the mercy of God. It's what's on the inside comes out. So he's breathing this out. He is filled with bitterness. He's filled with hatred. And he is going to silence these people. It's a religious spirit. He's doing this in the name of God. He's going to honor God by hurting the very people Jesus died for. He's totally missed the point, which is what a religious spirit does. It totally misses the point. A religious spirit divides. It divides who God's trying to bring together. It's, it's a bitter hatred. We, we'll recognize this in a minute. When I I say it's the kind of a spirit radical Muslims have when they want to kill people that are infidels and don't follow their way. But it's the very same spirit that caused Catholics to kill Christians and Christians, Protestants to kill Catholics back in the old world. Same spirit. We come here and we don't allow Christians of one flavor to kill Christians of another flavor but it's the spirit that divides us into denominations, each faction thinking they're better than another faction. So we divide the body of Christ. And instead of pulling together so that we can pool our resources and do great things for the kingdom in reaching out, we spend all our resources inwardly because we only have enough people here to pay the bills. So there's no evangelism. There's no outreach. Something wrong with that picture. It's a religious spirit. And even within churches where everybody has the same denominational structure, there's factions that get divided. Well, We want to do this. Oh, but we want to do that. So we got two factions and we're divided. Can't pull together. Can't move ahead. Something wrong with that picture. That's not what God designed. It's... It's, it's human nature for us to pull into cliques, into groups, into parties. It's human nature. It's supernatural, super nature that God does in us to make us want to pull together, to make us want to get together, to make us want to do things together. And religious fanatics, as we see Paul is here in this story, religious fanatics are brutal because they think they're serving God. They think they're doing God a great service. So notice Paul was going to Damascus to control other people. Religious spirits always want to control others, make rules and regulations and legislate morality, force it on people doesn't work that way because people are going to wiggle around the rules and do whatever they want to do unless they're born again. Then they submit to God. He's going up there to put people in bondage, to bind people up, to lock them up, arrest them, force them to do what they don't want to do. He's going up there to hurt people. as if he thinks God's purpose is to hurt people. That's not God's purpose. That isn't why he sent Jesus. He's going up there to expose people for their error, for what he thinks is their error. That's religious fanatic. There's a a technical term for that. It's what I call a religious nut. They're radical, but they don't accomplish anything for the kingdom. They just make themselves look good fighting for their their cause and not kingdom cause. So this voice, Jesus, speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Did you get that? He doesn't know who the Lord is. Believers, born-again people who have an encounter with Jesus know who the Lord is. We know the Lord because his personality is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. We're talking about Christians that don't really believe he's the Son of God. They don't know Jesus. Paul was like that. He was a religious fanatic, and he didn't know who Jesus was. The King James Version uses the terminology, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is what you would put on the front of a cart. If, uh, if you had a cart and you had a donkey pulling the cart, sometimes donkeys could be stubborn. And if the donkey got stubborn and didn't like what the master wanted the donkey to do, he would kick. And so they would put this plate on the front of the cart with prongs on it so that when the donkey got stubborn and kicked, he would hurt himself. This is what Jesus is saying. It's hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goads. There are certain safeguards up there, and you're kicking against them, and it's hurting you. I love it. Let me give you three quick scriptures that kind of summarize this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19 says, We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. You can plan it. But only God enables you to live live your plan out to the end. The second one is Proverb twenty two four, where it says, "Respect and serve the Lord; your reward will be wealth, a long life, and honor." There's a reward for respecting and serving God. Fearing God, this is what the fear of the Lord is. the The fear of the Lord isn't being scared of Him. The fear of the Lord is what what I experienced when I was a kid and I crossed the line and I knew I had to be accountable to my dad I was scared that he was going to find out what I did wrong because when he punished me he punished me mom just gave me a a swat on the way past and I laughed at her but dad he let me have it he made me go find a board I fear my father like that Father God, and you should as well. Here's the third scripture I want to share. Isaiah 57, 15. It says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit And the and the of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. God wants to revive us, and revival isn't a meeting we have. A revival is an encounter. Something happens down on the inside of us. He wants to wake us up, stir us up. He wants us to be revived, and the only way we're going to be revived is to have a broken, contrite heart to approach God with humility. So we learn. When a man has an encounter with God, like Paul, he falls on his face. He's humble. If you have have a relationship with God, you need to find some place to fall on your face. Because if you don't fall on your face, God will throw you on your face. We also learn that someone who's been renewed asks the Lord what he wants them to do. This is what Paul says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's a good prayer for every one of us. Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't know what you want me to do. I'm a little bit confused there, but Lord, what do you want me to do? If you ask him and he has something for you to do, why wouldn't he expose that to you? Why wouldn't he tell you? It's a personal thing. Okay, let's go to number three, the third thing. When we meet God, we do so by ourselves. Notice Paul was with a crowd of people when that light showed up, knocked him off his horse, and the voice spoke to him. And the people heard a sound, but they did not have the same encounter Paul had. You can be with a crowd of people, and nobody else knows what God's doing in your heart. Only you know there's an encounter, an enchanting encounter going on in your life, that God is speaking to you, he's teaching something to you. Only you know it. The other people standing around you don't have a clue. So Paul met Jesus all by himself, alone. I had an enchanting encounter years ago in 1971, 72. It was January 1972 in Steve Hauser's house when Pastor Dennis Kutzner laid hands on me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't even in a church. My wife had her enchanting encounter at the Helmer United Methodist Church, when Pastor Gilbert Dilley laid hands on her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We will never be the same. God changed us. And you probably have an enchanting encounter story yourself. Hang on to that. That That's great. So a new man, new woman, born again, has a story to tell. You probably have a story to tell, but are you telling it? Because your story can persuade other people to have their own encounter with God. And let me say this about hearing from God and God speaking to us. Hearing from God is not common sense. Common sense is radically different than God speaking to you because when God speaks to you, it's, it's counter to everything we think. So I know the Old Testament says, come, let us reason together, but your reasoning doesn't equate with God's reasoning. God will show you things you could have never seen. All right, here's number four, the fourth thing. When we meet God, our journey begins. He was on the Damascus Road. He was on his journey, but he met God, and God says, I'm going to take you to Straight Street. The Damascus Road was not where you really want to go. You thought it was, but where you want to go is Straight, Straight Street. And you'd have never found your way there alone. God had to speak to him and get his attention before he would listen to what God was saying. I'm going to take you to Straight Street. Straight Street is where you're going to have an encounter that's going to change your life. So when, when a man or a woman has an encounter with God... He has direction. Go to Straight Street, and there I'll tell you what to do. Well, Lord, can't you tell me what you're going to do when I get to Straight Street? Nope. I just want to see if you go to Straight Street first because you can't find your way to Straight Street being blind. The only way to find your way to Straight Street is to ask directions. You got to ask directions. You got to ask directions. I don't like asking directions. I I want to figure it out myself. My wife says, let's let's stop and ask him. Nope, I'm not going to stop and ask. That's humiliating. That's admitting I don't know where I'm going. Now, GPS has saved me. (laughs) Because I still don't know where I'm going. Get up and go into the city... And you'll be told what you must do I'll tell you what you're going to do when you obey me take, take the first step and I'll tell you what the second step will be Take a second step and then I'll tell you the third step I wish I could have just, in, in Bible college years ago I wish they would have told me what I need to do with my Christian life But they didn't tell me that I had to take another step And then God would give me another piece of the puzzle And then I'd take another step I'm still taking steps and still waiting on God to give me another piece of the puzzle all along the journey. So he didn't meet the Lord on the road. He didn't hear what God wanted him to do, his life's purpose on the road to Damascus. He got his life's purpose on Straight Street. He had to change his direction. He had to take a turn. So God is doing Two things here. Number one, he's protecting the saints in Damascus. He will do that. He'll protect the saints. And at the same time, he's calling an apostle. He's calling someone who's going to be not just doing what God wants him to do, but he's going to be teaching other people how to do that. It's going to be passed on for generations till here I am today doing it, inspiring you to go do it. It's, it, that's how Christianity works. So where do we go? That's the question. Where do we go with our life? What do we, what do, we do next? It's, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Watch this with me. Hmm, I, I wonder which way I ought to go. was brilliant and the told toes that hid the guire and the gimbal in the way. Know, don't know which way to go. Well, where should I go? Well, which, where do you want to get to? Depends on where you want to get to. Where do I want to get to? Uh, I don't know where I want to get to. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. That applies to our lives, church. Right. If we know where we want to go, then there's a certain direction, a certain path we have to take. But if we don't know where we're going, then it doesn't matter which way we take. But if you know where you're going, it does matter which way you take. There's turns we have to make. There's decisions we have to make. Amen? Here's number five. When we meet God, he connects us to the body of Christ. Here's Ananias over there praying. What's he praying for? I don't have any idea. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's praying for, but he's over there praying. And Paul, he's got himself in a mess. He's blind, can't see. He's humiliated, doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. He doesn't know where to turn. He knows he's offended Jesus, but he doesn't know what to do about it. So he's just got to sit. He's in, in, he's in the timeout bench. God's going to work on him as he's sitting there. Meanwhile, God speaks to Ananias. Here we see another meanwhile. There's a connection going on. God's running divine connections in our lives. We may not realize it, but he is. It could very well be that you've had an encounter with somebody here this morning, or you will before you walk out the door, and that divine encounter has been arranged by God because that other person has an answer to the questions you have. That's why we need to draw draw ourselves together and associate together because we we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Every one of us have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but we have different gift mixes. So when we connect with one another and interact with one another and share stories with one another, we teach one another. And that's how God can speak to us. Amazing. God works at two ends at the same time. We see that again and again and again in the Bible. Abraham raises his his sword to sacrifice his son. And all of a sudden, he hears the, the bleeding of a ram caught in a thicket over there. God provided the substitute just at the right time. Working two things at the same time. Coincidences are when two things line up at the same time. That's a coincidence for you. And that's the language of the Spirit. That's when you recognize the Spirit of God is setting things up. This is good news. And it should be good news for you. Because it's the same God at work in your life that was at work in Paul's life. And you may not have a horse to get knocked off of, but you probably have something that you can get knocked off of. And God knows how to get our attention. God knows how to get your attention because he is not finished with you yet. I said he's not finished with you yet. The final chapter has not been written. Nobody can evaluate your life yet because God's not finished with you yet. And you cannot evaluate anyone else's life because God's not finished with them yet. He's still working. He's an amazing God. And he loves you more than you will ever know. Would you stand with me? And that message will apply to absolutely anybody here. Everybody here. Because we're all on a journey. We don't know where we're going, but if we know where we want to get to, now we know the path we need to take. Yes. Amen. Kind of changing the subject, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's the spirit of the Lord. Um, if, I, I believe that there's somebody here with a bone spur, and you may not even know it's a bone spur problem you got, but God wants to heal you this morning. Someone else with a, with a hip problem. And you might think it's your knee, but it's your hip. God wants to heal that hip. So if you have a problem that might be a bone spur, or if you have a problem with, with your hip, would you raise your hand? Okay. Okay. Keep it up. Heavenly Father, we want to pray right now for each of these people with a hand up. Father, you've, you've, pro, you've spoken these things. You proclaim these things because you want them to know you're here. You want them to know because I, did, I didn't know. I had no way of knowing, but God, your spirit did. So we're just asking right now that you would reach down and touch these bodies, bring healing, bring, bring restoration to these situations, Father. You, you know where's, what's malfunctioning. And, Father, I'm just going to pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would impart your healing. That it would just flow down through them, God. That you would just bring restoration to this bone spur. You bring restoration to this hip issue. You're going to bring healing, God, in a way that, 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 that only you can do. And we're going to be careful to give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God is good. If you discover that healed it, that fixed it, would you come and tell me? I want to hear that report. That's, that's your testimony. That's your story. And it'll make me know I didn't miss God. Amen? Amen. We've got some prayer partners that will be here at the front to agree with you. If you have any kind of a prayer need, feel free to bring it. Let's see God do breakthroughs in his Lord's house. Amen? Amen. Go with God. He loves you.